Welcome. We trust you will be encouraged by this message from Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power. Thank you, Lord. Remember, therefore, that you are different, that you have been bought with a price, the most expensive price ever paid in the history of the universe, the blood of the Prince of Glory himself, Jesus Christ, shed his blood for you. So it's very awesome, very important for us to realize this truth, that it gives you, uh, you have an amazing identity. You are a peculiar people, a chosen generation. Say, I'm chosen. So this is the church. It's infinitely worthy because of the price paid for it. And you find, for example, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, it, there is a scripture. God, I mean, Jesus himself asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you, disciples, say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Uh, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. On this rock, I will build my church. And this is from what Bible scholars want to understand. This is Peter is the little stone. You're Petra. But this, on this, the mighty, big mountain, this rock, the faith, confession of faith in Jesus Christ, this revelation, Jesus is Lord. On this, I will build my church. Ecclesia. In the Greek, it's translated ecclesia. And uh, the whole company of redeemed is called the Ecclesia. The church universal, it has two aspects of it in the Bible. The church universal, and secondly, the church visible. The individual gatherings of believers in physical locations such as this church. So it's um, the local church is, in a sense, the, the Bible mentions the church, ecclesia, in a local sense, 92 times. And then the universal church, 
is about 10% of the references of Ecclesia in the New Testament is the sense of the universal. But the purpose of the church, Mark 12, 30 tells us, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all thy strength. The first commandment. And so we do that Friday night. This morning we spend some quality time praising and thanking God. That worship is, we can put that in the context of we love loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second part of it, Mark 12, 31. Is part of its ministry. It's love thy neighbor as thyself. So, Bonnie, you had something? Yes, Pastor, we know that language creates culture. And in terms of the language of the church in Scripture, it's good for us to retain a revelation of what Jesus said and, and what the Bible actually says to us. And interestingly enough... When Jesus said to Peter, you put yourself in that scenario, and Jesus confronts Peter, Peter recognizes Jesus as he is. Jesus recognizes Peter right back, and then Jesus, as Pastor said, recognizes Peter's confession, the revelation that this is the Christ. This is the Son of the living God, and it is not a natural revelation. It has come from God the Father. It's a supernatural thing that has occurred. And that revelation, that foundation of Jesus is the Christ is the foundation then upon which the ecclesia, say ecclesia. Ecclesia. And ecclesia is a very different word from the word church. And in fact, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word church is only actually used twice. In Corinthians, referring to the Lord's Supper, because church is a word uh, related to kurios, the king, the Lord. And so the communion we take is the supper of our king, of our Lord. And the second time is of the Lord's day, the coming of Christ, the revelation of the Lord of glory when he appears. And in the original language, that's the only two times this word church is used. And you know what? King James, when he, for various and sundry reasons, was eager to have the scriptures translated into English, he assigned the 46 or so bishops that were obviously in his pay and under his benefactorous, benefactorship to substitute that word ecclesia for the word church. And why is that significant? Because Jesus said upon this rock, that revelation, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the foundation, the ecclesia would be built. Jesus said, on this rock, my assembly will be built. And he was using specifically. And then Paul and the apostles follow through with the use of that language. He was using a similitude, a likeness to what was then understood in the natural government of the world, the Roman Empire, the assemblies were the gatherings of persons who were citizens of Rome in every city. 
And that assembling in every city had a legislative authority. It had the recognition of the citizenship of Rome, even though they were in other cities all over the empire. And that there was a judicial uh, aspect where judgments were made, judgments were rendered in the local assemblies of the empire. And that was what Jesus initially revealed the church as. And I think this is very important and it's very prophetic for us in this hour. Across the world, the, the coronavirus has been a terrible and horrible prophecy, especially to allow the church to awaken in many ways and have the scales fall off of our eyes and have our hearts renewed. And I'm, I was thinking of uh, the, the whole aspect of being baptized into Christ, baptized into his body, the Bible says. It means that we are now literally inside Jesus, but also uniquely by the work of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, the Holy Spirit has been sent to put Christ in us. So there, there, that's some of the invisible and visible existential realities that, that we are partakers of and participators in. But I was, I was reminded in this context, and I, I believe that it's a fresh prophetic reminder of where we're at today. In the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, Paul's uh, exhortation and letters to the church at the assembly at Ephesus, meaning the various house churches, meaning the ones who are gathering in synagogues, meaning the corporate gatherings. He was writing there to the ecclesia. And really, the book of Ephesians is like the Magna Carta, the constitution of God's revelation of the New Testament church. And in Ephesians, there are seven uh, uh, pictures that are given of the, uh, of, of the assembly. And they include, you're familiar with them, they include the family, the temple, the bride, the army, um, the body. The legislative body. The body. Come on. The legislation. My, my mind is going, workmanship, here we go. Seven pictures. Say seven pictures. Seven pictures. So, beginning with the assembly, which refers very specifically to the governmental authority. The assembly, say assembly. Assembly. Body, workmanship, family, temple, bride, army. Let's say it again. Say seven pictures. We are God's assembly, body, workmanship, family, temple, bride, and army. And in each one of those revelations, those realities, there is required a recognition of the purpose of God in that specific rendering of that likeness. For instance, in the assembly, it's referring to his governmental authority. And so then you have to consider, so what does that require of us corporately? What does that require of us individually towards God and towards one another? And if the assembly is the governmental authority, then his, uh, is the purpose is to reveal God's governmental authority in the earth. Then the requirement is that there would be order 
in that place. And that in that, in that context, we would also recognize each other's function and placement, i.e. the fivefold. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. But the Bible says there are many gifts, diverse ones. And in order for us to find the fulfillment of our calling, we find it in Christ, in his body, in the church, in the assembly, in the army, in the family, in the temple. You see that? And in, especially in the West, in our modern times, we have lost the revelation. And therefore, I believe we have lost the effectiveness of participation as the church of God in the earth. Individually, the individual self, the individual pursuit of our, our uh, personal passion and all of those things have been so elevated that we have lost our salt. The light of the church has dimmed. And the primary reason for that is because we have lost the actual Jesus and scripture revelation of who we are. And therefore, that we walk in that, that we receive it, that we, re we pursue that. Let us not forget that our scripture is not primarily written to individuals on their own. Nearly the entire body of scripture is written to the assemblies of God in various locales and cities as whole corporate gatherings. And so it begs the question once again, what's the purpose of being called the army of God? And therefore, what would be the requirements upon us corporately, individually, towards God and towards one another? And these things are very significant. So um, in the book of Acts, we see the initiation of the church with those three experiences that we've talked about. Repentance, and then there's baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit being literally joined to the living body of Christ in those ways. And then it goes on to say that now in Christ, there are, with the assembly of God, there are four ongoing activities that were initiated by the Holy Spirit. And we need a revival of all of these things to regain the purpose of God for the church in the earth. And if anything, has shown that to us. It's the last year and a half across the globe and the impact and effects of this global pandemic and all of the derivatives of it in natural governments, upon the social order, in human lives and families individually. And all of it has pulled the covers back and said to the church, it is time to rise and shine as you truly are. And we are many members but one. And in, in the Western, uh, I'll say particularly in America, in Canada, I was really struck by the fact that ultimately human governments, by way of this very dangerous and terrible pandemic, have ultimately instituted more and more rules to literally drive the church from meeting with one another. There is something very insidious about that, and we need to hear and understand and find our way at this particular time. But there are four ongoing activities. Number one, it was the teaching of the apostles. In the uh, fourth century, the council at Nicaea built upon the apostles' creed that says, I believe in the church universal. And again, that word, or holy Catholic, the Catholic church, it is the word universal. It literally means the whole, 
the whole thing, visible, invisible, past, present, future, alive in the earth, gone on to glory, so on and so forth. That's the church, the living assembly. But, um, so Bond, I just wanted to add where you are talking about that just to emphasize that if you study some ancient scripts or come across it, you know, the old way of saying, you know, the Apostles' Creed, they would say, and I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And a lot of people brought up in this era would say, what? I'm not Catholic. It's what? And, and the meaning of the word has changed. It used to mean Catholic meant universal. The whole. The whole. Yeah, the whole. But now it's different. So that's why, for the sake of that we would understand, we, be, we are saying the church universal. And, and so the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century built on that phrase from the Apostles' Creed from the 1st century, and they recognized four attributes that applied to the church universal. First of all was one, one church. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And remember, Jesus said, this is the way that your testimony is going to be in the world, to see how you treat one another. And one of the things that has also slipped is that the church has, I believe, has lost its center. I'm not saying focus, but it's center, where we originate from. And the scripture has us originate in terms of how we relate to God and then how we relate to believers. And that is the ground out of which we may then have a view towards the world. And I believe that in some ways, the concern about how the world views the church has overridden who the church is and has really weakened, if not emasculated, if not deadened, our viability and our power because we have been more concerned with the world relating to us than we have been with relating to God and frankly to one another and allowing that to be the revelation out of which we move towards the world in missions, evangelistic work, social justice, all of those things. Ephesians 4 says there is one, say one. One body, one spirit, you were called in one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is over all, through all, and in all. And so we see in that one Lord, one faith, one baptism, the idea of the universal, the whole church in unity, one. Secondly, that the church is holy. And the Bible refers to holy in the sense of otherness, something other, something transcendent, something above as God is holy. And there are things that are consecrated or set apart, sanctified, are holy for a particular use and a use in God. And there are locations and there are time periods like the Feast of Israel. They were set apart as holy, something unique above and special over the regular holidays or whatever that the society would, would uh, observe. We remember when Moses was standing before the burning bush, he was in the living presence of God and God said, this is holy ground. Well, in Revelation, the final view glimpse that we get of Jesus in reality as he is now, 
John saw him standing, dressed as a judge, the white robes, the golden sash, so on and so forth, in the midst of seven candlesticks. And he says, there in Revelation, which are the church, the assemblies in the various cities. And then we know very famously how there is a, a personal message from Jesus to each assembly in each of those cities. And I want to remind you again, he begins with, um, well, it doesn't matter which church he begins with. But in, in Revelation 1.13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a white garment down to the foot and gird around his torso with a golden girdle. That is the clothing of the judge. And that's significant to remember that Jesus does dwell in our midst as the judge of all. It brings clarity. It drops the plumb line between light and darkness, good and evil. This is the way. Walk you in it. So the gathering, the assembling of those who are in Christ and whom Christ is in is absolutely vital because it is in that gathering together that we see him as he is and are able to hear from him. But think for a moment about, use, about John seeing the assemblies in the cities as candlesticks, the menorah, not just one little candle like a birthday candle, a menorah. A menorah has what? many arms and they're all receiving oil from the center one that is called the servant candle and is famously representing Christ in a menorah and so we see that as a picture of the assembly or the various local gatherings of households of the assembly of the church in a city like a menorah all receiving their light via the oil that comes from Jesus. Psalm 133, oil upon the head of Aaron, the high priest flowing down to the very edge of his robe. So it shows that there are many, there are those various expressions, all receiving drinking out of the same oil, out of the same source, who is Christ, the one on whom the foundation of the church is built, right? I'm eager that God revive us individually and corporately in these realities now. And I'm eager because I do believe, just like in Revelation 2, listen to this. In Revelation 2, I believe this so describes, especially, I'll say, the assembly of the living God in its various locales and manifestations in America. This is in Revelation chapter 2, and he's actually talking to the church at Ephesus. Now, keep in your mind, the letters of Paul the Apostle to the Ephesians is really the Magna Carta on the church that reveals those seven pictures of what we are in the earth unto God and to one another. To the church at Ephesus write, these things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the candlesticks. Every time we gather, Jesus literally is invisible, literally traversing among us and present in us each individually by the Spirit. This is a profound thing. Indeed, that gathering is holy. And no wonder 
on any occasion, the world, the flesh, and the devil would try to drive the church out of her gathering and out of her identity. Because according to scripture, we are the only hope. And in fact, as God's body, his agent in the earth, it is whatever will be accomplished in and through the church in the earth. That is the sum total. God has restrained himself to work in and through the church in his redemptive work in the earth. Wow, talk about a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special treasure. That's stunning. So in verse 5, look, this is what he says before that, sorry. He says, I know your works. Say works. And your labor. Say labor. And your patience. Say patience. And we're happy to have patience and her dear hubby with us today, right? Is your husband with you? Yes. What's your hubby's name? Bobby. Welcome, Bobby. May God bless you today, my brother. May God bless you today. I know your patience. Look at this. This is to the Ephesians, the church at, the, in, at, at, at Ephesus. You can't bear those who are evil. Oh, my goodness. God restore us to that kind of clarity where we understand the difference between what's holy and unholy. What is the friend of God and the enemy of God? And understand in wisdom how to align ourselves that we might get back our vitality and our reality and the power that should be flowing through us. You can't bear those who are evil. So Ephesus had its act together on social justice. They were doing the stuff. They also had their act together on their religious, their liturgy, their service within the church. They had it together. They had their doctrine clear. They had their worldview clear. It was all lined up. We need some help in terms of our worldview these days in the church. And you have tried those who call themselves apostles and have found them to be liars. God, our first prayer would be return us to this kind of a state, right? Of effective service in the world. But look what he says. But I have something against you. What? I have something against you in all of that perfection. Social justice. Religious devotion and service. Clarity of worldview. Clinging to the true apostolic revelation and word. I have this against you. You've left your first love. Wow. And then he says something stunning. And I believe that we need to listen to this because, in fact, in many ways, the candlestick of the church and the earth has been taken away. I believe there's hope because these many arms whose lights shine from the oil coming from the center one, the servant, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, we're meant to shine brightly in this hour. But Jesus says... Remember from whence you have fallen. Repent. And do the first works. So there is something that even preceded social justice, religious service, clarity of worldview. It was that ardent devotion 
by which every member individually and the corporate whole would give up their very lives before they would sacrifice or equivocate on the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord and King of glory, our Savior and the one who is coming. The first church, those first couple of centuries, their power, their clarity, their message, and their mission came from personal and eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. And by that they knew ultimately there is no power in the world that has power, ultimate power, over my life and my times. And therefore, I will allow no power in this world to in any way compromise my eternal reward and security. So we need a revival of the church in the earth and the light of the church. And I believe that as we repent and return to the first love and this ardent clarity where we are ready once again to lay down our lives if need be that Christ alone be heard and seen and witnessed to as the only King, Lord and Savior for the whole world. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. And the last two pictures of the church in the book of Ephesians is the, the army of God. The church is God's army on earth. And the bride of Christ. So you are a bride. So we used to enjoy thinking of basically the church as the bride wearing army boots. So we are army and we are the bride. And there is a scripture, uh, there's the last scripture I want to share. And you can take note of it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 onwards through 25 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of the, by the blood of Jesus, say by the blood, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So as we see the day, the end of, where the coming of the Lord is going to be soon, at that time especially, there will be a spiritual force of darkness as much as possible to keep people isolated. And if they can, be at home. This whole thing of isolation, beware a mask, 
Don't go out. It's almost like, <laughs> it's kind of like darkness speaking to us. Because here it says, even as the day approaches, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Because this is the place, as I see it, that this is, you, you gain strength. You go from glory to glory, from strength to strength, it says. So you're going to get stronger the more you come and be able to come to the church, to worship, to pray, to praise, and uh, be involved in reaching souls all around the world. And that's part of what we are doing here, as we have found a great tool by broadcasting. So uh, it's important for us to take note for ourselves that the more we attend together, the more you inculcate, the Lord pours protective fluids, if I can put it on that, that you get stronger and stronger and stronger, and a protective shield comes over you. When you're not part of a living body, you're isolated, you are like an organism out there, the, not, not the same amount of strength has not come upon you. So that is part of the, the protective shield of the blood of Jesus comes on you more and more as we take communion, as we attend, as we worship, as we praise. And also that you yourself have an, you yourself bear part of the light of Christ. He is the light of the world, but we also have the smaller, we are smaller lights according to the Bible. And there is a, a very sweet but significant story in the history in the 1550s in France, in the city called, in the township called Dobes, um, they, they built a church, but the only way to light the church was for people in the town, this 1550, to bring their own lantern to the church. At the end of the pew was a place where people would hang their lanterns as they came to worship. The more people came, the brighter the church. The less the people came, less light and more darkness. And if no one came, the church was in darkness. And it, it really kind of tells us that God says, forsake not. That's the word of the assembling of yourselves. Part of it is the light gets brighter and brighter and the dark emissaries will stay away from the darkness. So we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the marching bride of Jesus. You are a bride, but you are also the army of God that you can take authority. And there also, that's such a beautiful uh, illustration, a real illustration of something that actually happens in the church. In the book of Acts, there are four ongoing activities that demonstrate the assembly of God in every city. And those four ongoing activities were the apostles' teaching. The uh, Council of Nicaea at, uh, drew out of that one phrase in the creed, one holy, Catholic, or universal, apostolic church. Apostolic meaning 
Christ is our apostle. It is his teaching, his example, his great commission, his command, and his presence with us in us and his empowering the apostolic church of Christ, the apostle. And then, of course, the apostles' teaching. So ongoing activity where the apostolic or the apostles' teaching, fellowship, fellowship, that, that experience of oneness of the one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one body, one hope of our calling. And uh, thirdly, it says breaking bread. So eating together house to house. And of course, in there, we have the whole context of the Lord's Supper. But it, fellowship was more of the spiritual identity together, taking strength from one another, rehearsing and recalling the revelation of Jesus, the eyewitness testimony, the things he has done, the recognition of his acts and works in our life, fellowshipping around him and in him in that way. And then, of course, eating together, both the Lord's Supper and regular meals together. There's something in communing that revives a covenant sense. If you remember even Jesus in his resurrection, when he went home with the guys on the road to Emmaus, who should have known who he was, and they were talking to him. But when they sat down and ate, something different happened. So uh, breaking of bread. And then lastly, but probably most importantly, is prayer. And this is one of the primary areas, if not one, if not the primary area, where as God's army and house and assembly comes into effectiveness, Jesus' prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It was a legislative, authoritative, governmental intercession and prayer. So prayer together is the most important thing. And perhaps the Lord needs to once again recenter and refocus our prayers where it's, you know, give us this day our daily bread came after the governmental intercession, pray for kings and all in authority, so on and so forth. That's one of the reasons we encourage you, all of you who are in, within this locale, to participate in the watch in a regular way. In our particular expression, I would say the most or the closest uh, place to literally starting to be trained as a member of the legislative body of God in the earth is long-term participation in the watch. And all of us who have had that privilege can attest to it. So anyway, those four activities that every believer in truth and legitimacy is anticipated to be participating in. Continuing in the apostolic word, the apostolic teaching. Continuing in fellowship. Continuing in breaking of bread and continuing in prayer together. And that is the manifestation of the church in the air. So may God revive us. Revive us again, Lord. Amen. Revive us again. Amen. And this is a crucial time, more than ever. And I, I would not have guessed one and a half years ago, that we would come to a time where a lot of the people I would see out there on the street would wear, well, everybody for a season was wearing masks. Who are you? I'm the mask invader, whatever. But the people were always. And this is, I mean, to separate us. The devil literally separates. So we are coming together as much as possible. Encourage people as never before. 
to come together because the devil's plan is to keep us separate. And that here, as we come together, we get stronger, you get more anointed, we get praising God, you get... A Christian was never supposed to live, never to be alone, not to be living all by themselves. And it, that is part of the thing that because of the comforts we have in this nation, uh, that we go, oh, I, I can do by myself. As far as God is concerned, no. You are part of a body of believers that's going to come together to praise, to worship, to thank, to pray, to encourage each other. So praise God. Amen. Aren't you glad you were purchased by the blood of Jesus? Yes. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, you're awesome. Tell your other neighbor, you are expensive. A price was paid. The biggest price was paid ever in history for you. Say, you are worthy. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit, over each of us. Bless us. Give us new strength. Give fresh protection over every family. We are protected by the blood of Jesus. Raise your hands. Say, thank you, Lord, for the awesome privilege to be purchased by the blood of Jesus. This is a covenant that can never be revoked. I have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. I am part of the assembly of God. And I can legislate things of God. And every power of darkness has to bow to the name of Jesus. I am part of the body of Christ. I am part of God's workmanship. I am a masterpiece. Thank you, Lord. I belong to the greatest family, the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that I can be, I am called the temple of God, where I will worship and give praise to the living God. With thanks, I am the bride of Christ. I am precious. I am part of the army of God, with the full armor of God, to do warfare against the powers of the enemy. I am a royal priesthood. I am an awesome warrior because of the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, every evil power bows to us. I am part of the church of Jesus. I belong. In Jesus' name, I belong. I am part of the family. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Give the Lord a big clap. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed this message. To order more great resources by Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-767-5433. 
730-6264. God bless you.